My career sucks. Sex just isn't the same. What's my purpose? Where did this fat come from? My relationship is killing me. I'll never be happy. My debt is piling up. I'll never find love. Why can't I be like other gay guys? Hey guys, it's time to get a grip, stop whining, make a bold move, and do something amazing with your 40-plus gay life. Let's get to the show with your tell-it-like-it-is host, Rick Clemens, who does his best to never act like a dick or a diva unless you act like one first. Hello, guys of the 40-plus crowd. I'm so excited to have you listening today for this very important conversation. I know you're going, well, Ricky said they're all important. They are. Every conversation that we try to have here with a guest or information I try to share with you, I feel like they're important because it helps us grow. It helps us see things. It helps us embrace who we are as gay men in the lovely ages over 40. I'm going to be truthful that today's conversation may be hard to swallow at times. No pun intended there, boys. This is really something that may kind of be I never knew. And I think a lot of you may walk away from this saying, oh, I never knew that. And this isn't meant to be a downer conversation. Actually, this is meant to be an elevator. It is meant to like lift us up and help us see and possibly even help somebody listening to say enough is enough. My guest is the author of a book that just came out in May. The book is called Nothing Can Tear Us Apart. And it really focuses on the male-to-male romance from an ethnic perspective that also includes intimate partner violence and domestic abuse. I don't want you to think, oh, I don't want to listen to this. You can think that. That's fine. But I'm going to invite you into this world with Wyatt and I as we explore the impetus to the book, why it's important, and to embrace that these conversations can only make us better in our community as gay men and as men on the planet. So Wyatt, welcome, welcome, welcome to the conversation, man. I am so glad to be having this chat with you today. Rick, first of all, thank you so much for allowing me to uh, be part of the show that was an outstanding introduction. Um, the full name of the book is Nothing Can Tear Us Apart Shattered. I write mm-hmm. a series of uh, novels called Nothing Can Tear Us Apart. Nice. Um, and again, thank you so much for having me on. So it's such a, I'm just going to say, this is such a difficult conversation, so to speak, to mm-hmm. have. Um, but there's also a reality to this um, where... If we embrace this and if we truly step into it, what do you feel can be learned from like making this part of a conversation like we're having today? Mm, Rick, very good question. Um, One of the major themes of Shattered, the new release, is intimate partner violence and abuse. The The acronym is IPVA. And it's essentially domestic violence and abuse within the LGBTQ plus community. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to put it, that whole subject in novel form, because I felt that in some ways it would be more accessible to people. Um, because IPVA, intimate partner violence and abuse, happens more than we want to acknowledge because according to stats, at least one in four 
LGBTQ plus relationship is abusive in some way. It could be mm-hmm. physical, it could be mental, it could be emotional, it could be all three together. Mm-hmm. And it's swept under the rug. People don't want to talk about it. And I'm a survivor. And I felt that even in my fiction writing, I needed to make it as real as possible. I'm also a journalist, and that's one of my um, IPVA is one of my um, top issues to write about. And it's got to be like cleansing and tough to do what you do in writing about this, I would assume. Wow, you hit the nail on the head. It it, it certainly is. Um, Fortunately, I'm okay. Mm-hmm. And having gone through counseling and and like purging your soul, so I'm I'm totally okay. But you know, sometimes thinking about it makes you sad, you know. But it's cleansing because it's it happened, and there's no point in trying to say it didn't happen. And I've interviewed quite a few victims and survivors of intimate partner violence and abuse, and it happens and it happens more than we think and more than we really want to acknowledge. And why do you think that is that it's, I mean, Mm. I know this is like a loaded question because I I know some of the answer, right? But it's not, okay. I'm going to go from a different angle. It's talked about out in the world, not near to the level it should be, but there's an interesting nuance to as soon as it turns into the LGBTQ space and especially gay men, oh, it's like, we don't want to let this dirty laundry be seen. Right. And, you know, the mainstream community still marginalizes us to a degree. And we in the community, particularly gay or same gender loving men, Rick, they don't want to, if it's happening to them or they know it's happening to someone else that they know, they don't want to acknowledge, acknowledge it because of the stigma, because let's face it, no man wants it known that another guy is whooping his ass, kicking his ass. So it's that whole manliness, the stigma that's attached to that. And let's talk about, for example, um, police. I think police have gotten a lot better with understanding that this is a serious issue, but too many people still think that it's boys being boys, but it's not because abuse is abuse, no matter who it's happening to. So I think all of that mixture of stuff makes it difficult for people to acknowledge it, you know, be you Mm -hmm. a victim or you know someone who is going through it. But I think there's this shame that comes along with it, too. Mm-hmm. There's shame. Right. There's guilt. There's ownership of, oh, I'm causing this. I mean, if you talk to anybody who's been involved in intimate partner violence at all, I would say a majority of them say, well, I always felt like I was doing something wrong or there was something I was doing that was causing this. And, of course, the perpetrator also makes you feel that way. Mm-hmm. You're the cause of this. Well, if you would stop doing this, this wouldn't happen. 
And it's a really hard thing for people who are involved in this to navigate around. So as you started to navigate around it, what was some of the stuff that um, you started to realize for yourself that, okay, I, I, I need to give myself and empower myself this in order to move beyond it. Well, for the victim, Rick, and also for the perpetrator, it can be learned behavior. For example, let's say that you witness your father abusing your mother, both phys physically, mentally, emotionally, or all three. As an adult, as the perpetrator, you might take that into your adult intimate relationships. And the victim might say, well, this is normal behavior. I should be abused this way. That shows that he loves me. Now, in my situation, um, I didn't grow up without a father. My dad died when he was when I was like five years old. So I didn't witness any abuse in the house. None of that happened. But with me, I grew up wrestling with my sexual orientation, having a yep. difficult time accepting it. And also, too, I had this horrible self-esteem problem and I was bullied a lot. So when I was a young adult in my first relationship where I was abused, I didn't think a whole lot about myself of myself. So I took it. Um, and I would say 85% of my abuse was mental and emotional. And sometimes mm -hmm. that can be worse than physical because yep. of the scars are long or lasting. And then the emotional and the mental are synergistic. They work together. So that can be a powerful thing to have to deal with. But, you know, after successful counseling, you know, counseling man saved my life. Mm -hmm. It. I, I'm just an... I'm a strong advocate and proponent of counseling. And I do workshops across the country regarding intimate partner violence and abuse. And, you know, I drill into people, you really got to get the counseling so that you can save yourself. Well, I agree. And that again, even in our culture of quote, and I'm being sarcastic here, guys, everybody's got a therapist. <laughs> that can be a hard thing to admit to, too. Like, yeah, I'm getting counseling and therapy for this. And the thing is, is bravo, bravo, mm -hmm. right? Because that's that's the thing that's going to help you begin to heal and process. Yeah, I, absolutely. Let me say something about that. Um, I, here's my analogy, what I tell people. Let's say, for example, you broke your arm, right? Mm-hmm. You're not going to heal it yourself because you're not a doctor. So you're going to go to the doctor. He or she will probably put it in a cast, give you some pain pills. So in other words, that's the same thing for the psyche. It doesn't mean to say because you're going to a therapist, a psychiatrist, a psychologist that you're crazy. It just means you need some help and you can't treat yourself. And, you know, people will say, well, I go to my minister and I say to myself, I say to them, that's well and good, but unless that minister has a degree in psychology or psychiatry, they're not going to be able to get you where you need to be and help to truly heal you. So I'd love to have my ass on the couch. I have no problem with it because to me, 
And sometimes you have to go through more than one therapist to find the right one for you. I had to do the same thing. Number mm-hmm. three was a charm for me. So it doesn't mean to say you're crazy. It just means that you need a little help. Right. You need you need a pathway. You need a guide. You need a way to see things you're not seeing. Yeah. And I think it's really powerful when we can finally, especially as men. So let's go there. And then even more so as gay men, when we can embrace, I'm not broken. I just need some help. Right, right, right. Because that we have been told as gay men and and in your case, as a gay man of color, mm-hmm. oof, that can be even more so because you're really being told how broken you are. And I know for me, coming from a very faith-based family environment, That brokenness was all I heard consistently, constantly. And so then as other things started to show up in my world, similar to your world, I was like, okay, well, I either have to do this or I'm going to be physically, emotionally, mentally abused. And to the point where I I do believe to some degree that I struggled more coming out because of that abuse than if I'd just been left to my own, you know, accord, so to speak, mm-hmm. without mm-hmm. that, I probably could have come out a whole lot easier and a whole lot sooner. But there was so much mental, emotional abuse around that, mm-hmm. which most of us as men get, oh, quit being such a sissy or such a pansy, you know, mm-hmm. blah, 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 blah. But then when it's exacerbated in some of this abuse, it's just 10 times worse. 10 times worse. You're absolutely right. And men of color, particularly African-American, let let me back that up. LGBT, let's put it like this, gay, same gender loving men of color, particularly Mm -hmm. African-American men have unique challenges in society. Um, They have challenges that Caucasian gay, same gender loving men don't have, economic Mm -hmm. disparities, disparities in health, just the whole system of institutional racism. So when you have that, and then the IPVA component, which will lead you into chronic depression, that's the hell of a lot to have to deal with. It really is. Well, it is. And it's because it it begins to layer and layer and layer and layer, Wyatt. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly all those layers go, and this is why you're no good. And, you know, and then you start to buy into this. And Mm -hmm. I think that's the beauty of being able to talk about this. And then also for you to take this into the creative realm um, of here, we're going to take this into the world of a story and writing a book and, such as what you've done in Shattered, where it's like, we're not going to brush this under the carpet. We're going to address this head on. You know, it's kind of like fat shaming or any of these other things. It's like in our own community, Mm -hmm. it always, it gets under my skin so much when people do any of these things, fat shame, any of that. I'm like, you do not realize that you are actually being violent to other people. Right. That emotional violence of saying, no, no blacks, no Asians, no fats, no femmes, no this, no that. I'm like, you are an abuser and you don't even probably realize it. 
You do Absolutely. not realize the abuse that you're handing down with that attitude. Absolutely. Hmm. What's the lesson you feel like you've learned most from like walking through this, being on the other side of it, which personally, and I don't know what it is for you. I know I'm on the other side of it, but I'm not a hundred percent on the other side. Of it. I can be, I can feel the feels in certain things that happen and go, wait, wait, wait. Okay. We're not quite done there yet. I'm much more cognizant of it, but um, what is something you feel like you've felt on the other side of this? That's really been powerful for you. That as a journalist, and I started to research and interview victims and survivors, I realized I wasn't the only one that it happens. Like I said earlier, more often than we want to even acknowledge and Mm -hmm. that it can become normalized. And looking at myself today, I guess another takeaway would be how much I've grown since then. That was like 30 some years ago, a little bit more. So it's it's like, you know, it's I'm just such a different self, more self-assured, more understanding individual. So it's like night and day, if you can understand what I'm trying to articulate. Yep. Yep. Um, well, there's a piece of yourself that you realize that does not define me. I, exactly. And there's a piece of it that, and again, I'm going to, I mean, I know I'm generalizing guys as we're listening to this, but I think most of you are going to resonate with these things. There's a level of confidence that we as gay men struggle with, no matter what. Uh, And anybody who tells me otherwise, I'm going to believe you to a point, but I think confidence as a gay man is something that we've all struggled with because we've been told you can't be, you can't be, you can't be, right? And as we start to step into these spaces and we embrace that these things have happened, it doesn't mean we become the victim to it. Because you, you're on the other side. I'm on the other side of this. But it's embracing that we do not have to be the victim to this, like not not just physically, emotionally, mentally, but we don't have to be captured by this for eternity. Yes, I just said every once in a while, there's a little pebble in the shoe that shows back up, right? But I've learned to like step into this and embrace that I can be beyond this. This does not define me. Actually, this is what gives me more confidence. This is what makes me love myself more. And I think these are the beautiful pieces when you allow that to happen, that the chaos that you're in also dissipates so that you can gain the clarity of what the experience gave you. Very good points. Another thing that I learned, Rick, was that as the years went by, the shame greatly diminished to the point I didn't have shame anymore because number one, I know that it wasn't my fault. I didn't cause this to happen to me. And then, like I said, as a journalist and interviewing people, I realized it is more prevalent, unfortunately, than we want to believe and acknowledge. Mm -hmm. So there's nothing to be ashamed about um, because the victim, it's, it's not his fault. It's not her fault, you know? Um, You just have to extricate yourself out of the situation and do something to get some healing. So I know we're neither one therapist, psychologist, but we've, we've done some work. I'm a coach, but I don't feel like that. I would never say, Oh, this makes me an expert in this arena. But why do you think this is, and I I don't even, you know what? I don't even know if I want to say, yeah, I'm going to say it this way. I'm not sure I want to 
make that be the end all be all on this, but why do you think it's more prevalent in the LGBTQ community than we want to acknowledge? Like where, where's the prevalence? Why is it there? What's your experience? I have my perspective, but I would love to know why you believe it's more prevalent than we want to acknowledge. Um, I know why it can happen. It, it, it's, it's, it happens no differently than in the heterosexual community. You know, mm-hmm. you, you have a you have a, you have predators, you have a victim, you have a perpetrator. You know, all of the elements are there in both communities. Um, I just think that, again, like I said before, in the LGBTQ plus community, we are so marginalized, and I think our self esteem can be damaged in ways that we don't even know about it because even though we have made strides in the community, we're still the heterosexual community. A lot, some of the heterosexual community doesn't, they still have an issue with us, you know, because of the whole focus on sex, 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 right. But we're more than just sex, 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 but that's how some of them feel. So we have that piece. And again, the whole stigma thing, particularly with the, with us men, I mean, come on, we don't want, someone to know that another guy is beating us up. Right. So yeah, I think there, I think that comes back to the shame piece. It's like, okay, piece. we are, we already are being told we're no good for this. Right? right. And then we start being told, well, don't talk about this because that, you know, blah, 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 you know, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like the reason it becomes more prevalent is like, let's not talk about this either. We already are told don't talk about being gay or whatever, even though I hope that's diminishing somewhat. Of course, in certain states, it's like, don't say it. But um, I think there's almost a preconditioned response to don't talk about this. Don't talk. Well, as soon as you don't talk about things that are shameful, let's just add this to the mix. And then we're so preconditioned to that, that we go, okay, well, okay. Uh, yeah. For to be safe, I'm not going to talk about this either. And then you have the other side that is the 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 predator and the abuser who is actually literally feeding you these lines and sometimes literally saying, Don't you dare talk to anybody about this or this is gonna get worse. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's very subtle. It's the gaslighting and everything else that starts to happen. Personally, I have had some conversations with people in our community that basically went like this. Well, it's not that bad. And plus, at least they love me, which is very similar to what happens anywhere. It's not that bad. And at least they love me. And that's a really hard thing for me to swallow. Like, I don't buy that. I don't buy that. How can somebody abusing you mentally, emotionally, physically be okay? And you consider that love. Two reasons. Number one, it, it could be because of observed behavior. Again, the father beating his mother and or her mother and the whole psychological and emotional abuse as well. And, you know, when you have your self-esteem in the toilet or non-existent and someone says, I love you, you know, you're so busy. You, you want this person so badly because, you know, lack of self-esteem that you believe it. You know, you're so desperate for someone to love you. And again, you feel horrible about yourself. So, you know, I can kind of understand it. 
Um, well, I can too, because you, you just hit on it. Yeah. When your self-esteem has been brought down so low that you believe this is all you're worthy of, then this is how you view life. This is what I'm right. worthy of. This is what I can do. This is it. And it's hard. It's really hard. I mean, it, it, and again, I'm, I, I hate to keep bringing things up like fat shaming or, you know, race shaming or any of these other things. It's very similar. Mm -hmm. The intersectionalities are all there. The difference is when it becomes the daily conversation that only solidifies and continues to be beaten into you that this is why you're not worthy. Then it begins to like become that moment, not just moments, but those moments where you begin to believe it. You begin to buy into it. And I think the point of this conversation, and I would encourage any guy who's like, okay, I'm not sure that I'm experiencing this. Well, that may be the time then to really ask yourself, if you're not sure, there's something there that's got to be questioned. There's something that you need to be questioning right there. Absolutely. I, I totally agree with you. What do you hope to accomplish most by having this book out there in its fictional form, but yet very, very truthful in like how somebody can do this what would you like to see happen by putting it out there well one of the one of the reasons why i made intimate partner violence and abuse ipva a major theme is because i wanted to open up a dialogue about ipva because again people don't acknowledge it enough it's right. in the closet it's swept under the rug and I want it to be as real as possible with this novel. It's about two upperly mobile men of color who are fighting to keep their monogamous relationship alive um, against some possibly insurmountable odds. One is intimate partner violence and abuse. So I wanted to tell that story of these two men who truly love one another but they have this issue and how are they going to resolve it if they want to stay together? Um, and I don't give the reader like this quick fix. I actually put the couple through like couples counseling with a therapist. And in order to write that section, well, I actually went to a therapist, a psychiatrist and asked, how do you go about this? because I wanted to make it, Rick, as realistic as I possibly could. So I'm hoping that Nothing Can Tear Us Apart Shattered will open up a conversation about intimate partner violence and abuse, because it, again, it happens more frequently, unfortunately, that we want to believe and that we want to talk about or acknowledge. And I think that's the thing, is we've got to talk about and acknowledge anything that is like, I mean, Anything that is causing this strife, whether it's Black Lives Matter, whether it's, you know, gay rights, whether it's, you know, abuse of children, whether it's, you know, any of these things, if we become silent, which many people are trying to silence so many things, then we cannot combat the issue. Mm -hmm. It's like if we weren't if we weren't talking about the obesity problem in our country, and I'm one of those guys that. I'm ranked in there. But if we don't talk about it, we can't get something done about it. It's not like saying everybody's fat, but we need to start talking about like, okay, what is causing this? 
And what's the ramifications that will take us to that next space? And the same thing happens here. If we don't talk about that, this is a reality, that intimate partner violence happens and it happens in our LGBTQ world, then we are the ones causing more damage by not talking about it. And I'm so grateful that you're bringing this into the world. Again, I think it's a great way to bring it into a space where, yes, some people may go, I can't read a book like that. Well, then maybe you need to read something else about it. Maybe you need to listen to a podcast like this where this gets talked about because mm -hmm. it does happen. It's kind of like hiding any other thing, alcoholism, sex addiction, any of this. If it doesn't get talked about, then it's going to continue to you know, emulate throughout our culture as an acceptable. And I believe what you're trying to say by what you're sharing here, Wyatt, is we need to continue to make this unacceptable. Absolutely. And also, too, we need to assess our relationships in a positive way, because basically the overarching warning sign of intimate partner violence and abuse, IPVA, is when your partner is walking on eggshells around you. You know, yeah. if you are afraid of your partner, if you are afraid of doing something that will displease your partner, you know, if they're keeping tabs on you. <clears throat> telling you what to wear, how to spend your money, keeping you away from family and friends, all of those things and more, you have a problem. There is an issue. Yep. So we really need to look at our relationships and just, you know, just like we assess our job performance, for example, right? Mm -hmm. Assess our relationship and say, how is this, how is this working for me? You know, that sort of thing. Absolutely. But the beautiful thing that you just brought up is the simplicity of some of the signs. Mm -hmm. You just listed a whole bunch of them there in that last, you know, 30 some odd seconds. These things are things that you may take at, you know, the surface level, like, okay, well, they don't like what I'm wearing. But every time they're saying, I don't like what you're wearing, you need to change that. That's a form of mental and emotional abuse. Absolutely. If you don't, you know, you, you shouldn't spend your money that way. You need to be spending it this way. I need to be in control of your money. That's a form of abuse. And then as they start to snowball, the thing is, is when we give permission to that to be okay, and mm -hmm. then the next thing to be okay, right? whether the words are ever even uttered, why, and I know you know this, you, you, you've been through it. Mm -hmm. There's this thing that happens that it's permission by no pushback. Exactly. Exactly. It could evolve to a certain look that your yep. partner gives you to keep you in check, keep you in line. Mm -hmm. You know, if they're verbally abusing you and 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 pretending that they're just playing with you, that they're just joking with you. No, they're not. So, so you really have to assess what's going on in your relationship. And that's not a bad thing. It's just taking stock. Mm -hmm. of the relationship and how you feel and how things are, are are getting along and are you treating your partner you know correctly and is he treating you or is she treating um you correctly yep yeah but also giving yourself permission to ask that question absolutely are they treating me correctly are right. they treating me as a partner are they treating me as someone who deserves to be loved and cared for and i'm not saying that Every day is going to be, you know, roses, unicorns, all that sort of That's stuff. Cool. I'm never going to say that, right? However, the numbness that sets in 
in these moments is the numbness that allows more moments to come into play. Right. So if you were going to leave uh, the listeners with one piece of advice, if they're like, I don't know if this is what's happening to me, mm-hmm. what would that piece of advice be to start to really unravel this? Oh, wow. Um, I think, I really think that if these warning signs are happening to you, you're in trouble. And I think deep down, each person knows whether or not something is not right, that something is amiss. Um, I, I just really think that everyone should take stock of their relationship, like they take stock of their job or something else and say, hmm, this is happening to me. Is it what I want to happen to me? Is it right? Is it a negative? Is it a positive? And if you're confused, you might want to talk to someone that you really trust. Yeah. You know, someone who's going to give you the real deal that can be objective. Because sometimes when you're in LUV love, when you're in love, you have these rose-colored glasses, right? So sometimes you have to go outside yourself and get to someone who will give you someone that you can trust and who will really give you the real deal. If that makes sense. It does. It makes complete sense. Complete sense. So if the audience wants to get a copy of your book, visit your website, give yourself a shout out here, man, this is your time to like, let's get some traffic driving that way. Thank you so much. You can visit WyattEvans.com. You can also go to Amazon. It's on Amazon. It's also at my website as well. So go to WyattEvans.com, W-Y-A-T-T-E-V-A-N-S.com and go to Amazon and just plug in Nothing Can Tear Us Apart Shattered. And it's right there for you. Well, I so appreciate you being willing to share and be open and vulnerable about this topic. And guys, we're not saying, oh my gosh, double check everything and do this, but be on guard. You may not realize this is what's actually happening. You may think, oh, this is just part of the way life is. Trust me and trust Wyatt. If your partner is constantly telling you, you shouldn't be talking about certain things. Don't you dare try to do this. That's just you. It may be time for you to seek some professional help to help you navigate through this. So thank you again, Wyatt, for being a great conversation and bringing something to the forefront that truly needs to be talked about. I really appreciate you, man, being part of my world and sharing with my audience. Rick, listen, thank you so much for letting me come on your platform. And I really appreciate everything you do. Thank you, man. And thanks listeners for being here. And we will be right back in another week with another episode of 40 plus Gay Man Gay Talk. And don't forget, guys, if you want to be even more involved with the community, join us on that once a month Zoom chat that we have. You can go to rickclemens.com and go to the Zoom links, which can be found in the men's chat. There's a navigation there about the chats. Sign up and you'll get added to those emails and you can have more intimate conversations about things that we gay men should be talking about and that we aren't. Have a good week, That's a wrap for 40 plus gay men, gay talk, where size doesn't matter. We drop our bullshit, get over our screwed up fears, make bold moves and live life without apologies. 
Don't forget to join us on Facebook at 40 Plus Gay Men Gay Talk, where the conversations continue.